Hi, and welcome to the Country Hope Church podcast. We're based in regional Queensland with locations in Chinchilla, Gainda, Jandawi, and Meandara. We hope you enjoy this episode and we invite you to join us for a Sunday service. For full details, head to our website, www.countryhope.church. There are plenty of things in the Bible that make me scratch my head and I read them and I think, what's going on here? But this is God's revelation to us. And in two weeks' time, we're starting a new sermon series, which I'm really excited about, uh, called God Speaks to Us Through His Word. And we're going to look at the Bible and where it comes from and how we got the Bible and how to read it better. Because you can actually read it better. One of the keys to reading the Bible is to understand what the people who first read the letter or the part of the Bible that we're looking at, what they thought, what they understood by it, it helps us understand. We're going to read a passage today that if you didn't know the circumstances of 2,000 years ago when it was written, you might get the impression that God is really cruel. But if you understand better where it was written and why, then you find out that God is actually really kind. Also in this passage, it's, it's interesting because... In your Bibles, some of your Bibles might be missing a verse. A verse has been taken out. Why would a verse be taken out of the Bible? Interesting passage. We're reading from John 5, verses 1 to 9. And this is what it says, and you can read it up there. In this, I've left the numbers of the verses there so you can see where a verse has been taken out. It says, Sometimes later, Jesus went to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralysed. That's verse 3. Then in a lot of Bibles, verse 4 is not there, it's taken out, and we skip straight to verse 5. This is what verse 5 says. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, He asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. Now, what does that mean? Well, the missing verse will help us understand, and we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else always gets in ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once, the man was cured, picked up his mat and walked. What an amazing story. What about the missing verse, though? It's been taken out, but I've got it up here. This is what the missing verse says, verse 4. So um, it says about the, 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 uh, the pool, and then it says, For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. And whoever was first after the stirring up of the water, whoever was first into the pool, they were made well from whatever disease from which they were, afflic- from which they were afflicted. So then that makes verse, sense of verse 7 where the man says, when the water's stirred up, I can't get in quick enough so I can never get healed. So why do some modern versions of the Bible not have that verse in there? What's the story? Some people think it's been omitted because it actually sounds really cruel. What sort of person would invent a game where invalids lie around a pool and when the water's stirred up, the first one in gets healed? That to me sounds pretty cruel. But actually the reason that that's been omitted is a really simple reason and it all comes to local knowledge. 
If I were to say to you here in Chinchilla, where's the best place to get hot chips in Chinchilla? Where would you say? Slingers. Everyone says slingers. Slingers. Do you know if you Google slingers, you can't find it. It's not there. Why? Because Slinger actually owned that shop about 50 years ago. He's long gone. Slinger doesn't exist anymore. It's gone through several sets of hands. There's no such place as Slinger's store officially, but everyone knows it because of local knowledge. We know where Slinger's store is, even though it hasn't been Slinger's for 50 years. We know because of local knowledge. And back here when John wrote this, when he talked about the pool in Bethesda, everyone that read it knew what it was. Oh, we know that pool. That's when the water is stirred and if you get in first, you're healed. Everyone knew it, so there was no need to explain it. About 300 years later, when a scribe was writing John, he realised that this story had gone all around the world, that people were reading this that didn't have local knowledge. So he added that verse in to explain it, to give it context. So 300 years later, the scribe wrote in, by the way, if you don't know, this is the story when an angel comes down and the water is stirred. So it was written in to help us understand and have context. But with modern versions, what they decided is, because this was an addition 300 years later, we won't put it in because it's not part of the original text, and so they take it out. But it actually helps us understand what's going on in this pool. It's all about local knowledge. But it still leaves us with the question, what does this mean? Because to me, like I said, the thought of lame, the blind, the infirmed, lying around a pool waiting for the water to stir to get in, and only one gets healed, the fastest one in, to me, that doesn't sound good. That actually sounds really cruel. Why would that happen? Why would God do this? For a very long time, people couldn't understand this verse until about 1900, when uh, in Jerusalem they decided to do some renovation, some work, and they decided to put a sewer line through a certain part of the city. And they uncovered this pool. Can you put the next photo up? They actually uncovered, and that's the excavation of the pool of Bethesda. And they found this pool. They didn't even know that it existed. There was debate whether it was in the Bible, but where was it? And they finally found it. And when they excavated it, what they found is that this pool of Bethesda and all the, there was all artifacts there and a whole lot of things. What they actually found is this pool was dedicated to a Greek god, the Greek god of healing. And in this pool, um, uh, people would come and lie around it, like they said, and the first one in would get healed. But they found some very interesting things when they did an archaeological dig. And so by about 1954, they worked out what it was all about. If you could put the next photo up. What they found is the pool of Bethesda was actually two pools, an upper pool and a lower pool. And in the upper pool was full of water. The lower pool was where the weak, the lame, the cripple would pay money to lie around the edge. So they would come in, they would pay a fee for the chance to lie there, and they would wait for the water to be stirred and jump in and be healed. What they found in the excavation is that this was a big scam. And every so often, they would release water from the upper pool through a secret duct into the lower pool and the water would be stirred, and they had specially planted people who were healthy, pretending to be lame, lying there, who would know the time the water would be stirred. And one of them would be first in, would jump up, would say, I'm healed, I'm healed, and give credit to the Greek goddess of healing, and say, she has healed me. 
And so this legend built around the pool. And all it was was a cruel scam to scam lame people out of their money. And there was never any lame people that could make it in first because the plant, the healthy plant, would always get in first. And so you've got this going on in Jerusalem. Then you have Jesus walk in one day to the pool of healing dedicated to the Greek goddess of healing. And Jesus does something amazing. He walks up to a man who was definitely lame. Everybody knew this guy was crippled. He'd been crippled for 38 years. And we don't know how long he'd been doing this, but he would probably go to the temple and beg as that was the best place to beg if you're a lame person, because people coming to the temple would... And then he probably would get taken to this pool straight away with his money, pay his money in the hope that he'd be healed. Because this pool was actually really close to the temple. And so um, you can see the top of that picture, a a bit of a wall there. That's actually one of the walls of the temple. So this pool was close to the temple. So Jesus walked in one day to this pool where everyone knew about the Greek goddess of healing. And he walked up to a cripple for 38 years. And he says to her, he says to him, sorry, uh, do you want to be well? Pick up your mat and walk. And instantly the man is healed. No money has changed hands. Jesus doesn't say, give me money and I'll heal you. Instantly he's healed. Now imagine what that did to everyone around the pool. They're thinking, we've paid money for years and years for the chance maybe to be healed. Jesus has come in and healed him straight away. It caused an uproar. All of a sudden, the people making money out of the lame and the cripple could see their profit disappearing because Jesus actually really healed a really crippled man and he didn't ask for payment. He just said, God will make you well. And I can imagine everyone that was in that pool paying money would all of a sudden wouldn't care about that pool anymore. They'd be following Jesus. This is the one who has true healing. This is the one. And so what Jesus actually did is he destroyed a money-making scam that preyed on the sick and the lame and the blind. Rather than being cruel, this is actually kindness. When you go back into the into the actual Greek writing of the scribe that wrote an angel comes down. What you find is he didn't say an angel of God came down and did this. He just said an angel came down. And what the the archaeological evidence found out is that's what exactly would happen. An angel of the Greek goddess of healing would come down, so the legend said. And And Jesus destroyed it in one action. You don't need to pay these scammers to be healed you actually just need me and I can bring healing to your life. Now, back then, everything was a contest between the gods. My God is greater than your God. What Jesus showed in one foul swoop is the ancient goddess of healing that the Greeks adore actually can't do anything. She has no power. I'm the one with the power. And he destroyed this whole money-making thing in an instant and showed people that God is interested in them and has compassion on them. And you don't have to come to him perfect. You don't have to earn his love, his healing. You don't have to earn his grace. He gives it freely. It was an amazing event in the lives of these people and in Jerusalem. 
But this isn't, for me, the most astounding part of this story. That's an amazing thing that Jesus did this healing and it was, it was incredible and Jesus broke the, the power of these schemers and it was, it, was, it was incredible. But the most amazing part of this story is the next few verses. And we're going to read these now. This is what happens straight after this. The day on which this, you can put this up, yeah. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leadership said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to pick up my mat and walk. And so they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see you, are, see you are well again, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Then the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. Now listen to this verse, this is astounding. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, because he was healing people who'd been crippled for 38 years, because he'd been doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defence, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, honestly, these verses absolutely do my head in. Because we've got the Jewish religious leaders who worship God in the temple. They ran the church service. They were the ones in charge of church. They saw a man who'd been crippled for 38 years. Now, I can guarantee that he would have begged at the gates of the temple. And he probably would have gone into the temple to worship in the outer court that we talked about last week, where disabled people could go and worship. He would have been known. They saw him. Their first response wasn't, how come you can walk? What amazing miracle is this? Their first response is, why are you carrying your mat on the Sabbath? Because it's against our religious rules for you to carry your mat on the Sabbath. Why are you carrying your mat? 38 years lame, and all they can think of is, why are you breaking our religious rules? They're not astounded at the miracle. All they're interested in is the law. And what makes it worse is it's not a law that God gave. This is one they made up. God originally in the Old Testament gave the, the, the law... Uh, don't work on the Sabbath, keep it holy, reserved for me. So the religious leaders then decided, what does it mean, don't work on the Sabbath? And they made a whole lot of rules on top of that. And one of the rules is, you can't carry your mat that you sleep on during the day. And so that was a rule. So this guy who'd been crippled for 38 years, Jesus had healed him. He was miraculously healed by God. But they couldn't see the miracle Jesus had done in his life. All they could see is he's breaking our religious rules. And so they persecuted Jesus for healing someone on the Sabbath. Imagine that. They are so bound by their religious box that they persecute someone who brought healing in God's name because he did it on the wrong day. Now, that to me is astounding, particularly when they were the people who were saying, we're here on God's behalf, we run the church services, we know God's heart. They didn't know God's heart at all. They were so bound by their religious rules that they couldn't see that God had done such a great miracle. How narrow-minded are these people? 
let's move forward to the 21st century here in Queensland, there is no way we would be that religious-minded. There is no way that we would look at someone and say, well, they're not doing things the way we do them, so is God really at work in their life? We would never, ever be that religious-minded, surely. Or could we? Could we be so enamoured with our little box that we put God in that we fail to see that God can work in other ways in other people's lives? Can we be so biased towards our own religious tradition that we don't allow the God to move the room to move in other people's lives differently than the way we know? A few years ago now, when I was a pastor at another church in Gainda, we used to have joint meetings with the Anglican Church and the Anglican minister there was a really good friend of mine. And so we'd just um, have days where we'd have a joint service in the Anglican church or a joint service in our church. And when we went to the Anglican church, it would be a, an Anglican service with a, with a prayer book and uh, with, we, we would recite the prayers. And so we'd do it as an Anglican service. I'll never forget the day that someone came up to me and said, do we have to go to that church again because God's not there? And I said, what do you mean God's not there? Well, they just read stuff out of a book and the spirit isn't there. And, and it absolutely astounded me that someone could say, because we're not doing it in our tradition, because we're doing it differently, God can't show up and bring healing to someone's life. And we might hear that story now and say, that was really bad, but there can be prejudice in our own life towards other people who encounter God differently to us. There can be a bit of bias in our own life. And you might have even found yourself saying, church isn't what it was 30 years ago. Church was not what it was like when I was a kid. And we can have this bias towards our own experience and our own preference, rather than allowing God to be God and moving in the big box that he's got, rather than our small little box. So this verse to me is fascinating for two reasons. Number one, it shows to me the heart of God, that he gives grace without wanting anything back. He gives grace because he is a great God. And he heals not because I earn it, but because of his grace. And there's nothing I can do to earn his love, to earn his healing, to earn his grace. He gives it because of who he is. And if I put requirements on people to earn his grace, I'm misreading who he is. He gives it because of who he is. And you don't have to pay more. You don't have to do more. He is a grace-giving God. The second lesson that I learn in this story is to be very careful about putting God in my own religious box and saying God can only act in this way because God is way bigger than that and he can meet people where they are in ways that astound me and he can work in their life in ways that I don't understand but I should just allow God to be God and worship anyway when he does something great in someone's life. And so as we read this account and we read it 
like I said, the way that the original readers would have understood it. And as we study it a bit more, we suddenly realise how kind God is and how I've got to be careful of my attitude to other people because God is into demolishing my religious box. I was thinking about this this week about what I was like when I first got out of Bible college and started as a pastor. That was 1997, so that was a long, long time. That was last century. And I've been thinking about the way that I've relaxed a lot about allowing God to be God in people's life and not expecting him to act the way that I want him to act and just letting God show the grace to people and me going with the flow on that and saying, God, you be God. And I'll celebrate what you're doing in people's lives, even if I don't quite understand it. I'll allow you to be God. And so this is your homework for this week. Read this passage again and say one of two things or both things. Say, God, help me understand your grace in a deeper way, that I don't have to earn it, that I don't have to pay for it, that I don't have to uh, do something I just have to accept your grace and the fact you love me, no matter what my past is, no matter what I'm like now, and I want to change, but I just have to accept your love. The second thing is, God, break my religious boxes. Break the box that I put people in. God, break those things down so that I can know you better and see what God does in your life. Why don't we pray? Why don't you stand with me as we pray? We hope you enjoyed listening to the Country Hope Church podcast and that this episode blessed you. If you've got any questions or prayer requests, please don't hesitate to contact us through our email, connect at countryhope.church. If you'd like to subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode, that would be fantastic. Otherwise, we hope to see you either online or in person at some point soon.